0: I have a guest with me today that I have been wanting you to meet for a long time. We have known each other many, many years. And uh, uh, this gentleman is a fellow trainer and he trains police, military and civilians. He uh, is an entrepreneur. He's a martial artist. And uh, he's also an author. Hank Hayes, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, hey, Betsy! Great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks so much.
0: So, I I want people to know a little bit about your background. And I, when I had the opportunity to interview you years and years ago, and uh, one of the things I loved about your story was how you became involved in the martial arts as a as a little kid growing up in New York. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sure. Sure. So it's funny. So my mom still lives in the same house, same phone number, and the only Black person in the middle of that Italian neighborhood. And thats it's a New York thing. It's hard to explain to people who don't know how New York is, because the Italians live here, the Mexicans live here, the Russians live here, and that's just the way it is. And... It'll probably, I don't know, just be that way. I don't know, but so back in the 60s and people might say, well, why the heck did your parents move into a all white Italian neighborhood in the 60s? And um, yeah, it's a good question. And uh, back then there were no well-to-do black areas. And my parents were pretty well off and stuff like that. So we moved into this area, but it was not absent the roughness of New York City. So I grew up, it wasn't, you know, and this is at age five and six. It wasn't if I was going to get into a fight. It was when, with how many, and what weapons did I have to defend myself against? The garbage can, the lunchbox, the stick the baseball bat whatever it was and so and in my little brain at that age didn't understand why I wasn't accepted because of the color of my skin so I got really really angry and uh, that anger turned into you know retaliating and responding back and um, what I learned at a very very young age and this is This is just what it is, is that if you need somebody in the nuts or you stick a finger in their eye, that they're going to respond and you're going to get a position of advantage. So I was like, oh, okay, well, this is something that can get people off of me, right? So then I started officially the martial arts at age 10. And when I did, it wasn't the thing that was going to do that to people, meaning at the bus stop, putting someone in a judo hold wasn't gonna get that person off me with the same efficiency as kneeing them in the nuts or or, or a good headbutt or any of that stuff. So little did I know I was doing fight combatives at that young age, but I just knew that that worked. And I think the transition and the bridge over into how I got into law enforcement training. It's kind of a windy road, but this story will illustrate it. So here I am, 12 years old, Uh, I go, I'm out playing, and I come home and I'm just about to open the front door and I can hear my mom crying out through the front door. And I go inside and she's just bawling, right? And so there was this other black family that we knew from church and Mr. Hunt was a New York City police officer and he was killed in the line of duty and oh my gosh. So the first funeral I ever go to in life is a New York City police funeral. And I just remember saying, Somebody ought to do something about that. And I'm going to have a part to play.
0: That is extraordinary. And so you you grew up and you didn't go into law enforcement. You went a step further. And uh, because you're such an entrepreneurial guy, you started your own training company, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So um, I had this idea for an invention and I got... we went through the prototype, then I got it patented. And then so it's the munitions of edge weapons. And then that got us the government asking to, hey, we need this tool. And then they bought the tool and then they needed training. And that's really how how the whole thing started from the actually the first customer we had was the OIG, Office of Inspector Generals. And then uh, more you know more departments and agencies started asking for it. And mainly, you know, the cities that have a rough inner city. So you take the you take the Detroits, the Baltimores, the Chicago's, the, you know, the Atlanta, the rougher cities where their guys are gonna be in harm's way and they need a fighting system that provides solutions that their men can execute when they're out on the job.
0: Absolutely. And they're women too.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes.
0: So your system, it doesn't just involve edge weapons, but you've moved on to um, firearms to hand to hand. I think, I think it's important to understand that it really is a, a system because, uh, speaking specifically about law enforcement, you know, law enforcement officers have to frequently transition, you know, between whether it's hands-on, edge weapon, baton, taser, firearm, all of that,
1: right? 100%. Yeah, actually, we have a course that is called dynamic transition. And what that takes them through is whatever weapon system you have, how to transition up and down the ladder through all of your weapon systems that you'll implement. So you may, you may come in with a rifle, you may have to transition because of space to a pistol that may turn into an edge weapon, that may turn into crowd control, empty hand. So we'll flow between all of these modalities of skill in that particular class.
0: So now you're also doing, you, you train civilians as well, right?
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's a different company. We do basically the same stuff, but it's just kind of tailored to be delivered to the civilian. Yes.
0: So when when you talk to civilians about protecting themselves, utilizing different weapons, um, how does that differ? And what do you say to people who say, um, we as Americans, we don't need firearms, you know, citizens, we don't need firearms. We don't need to be learning to fight people. We don't, you know, we should just rely on the police to protect us. What do you say to those people?
1: Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's great that you asked that question. So uh, this coming year, I'm going to be 59, right? So I've been professionally in this space, full-time doing this for it will be 24 years, right? And to be frank, I don't have the time or inclination to argue with people about a subject that we know far more about and the truth on, right? So, you know, I would, you know, depending on the individual, what I might say to them is listen, bad guys are always gonna have guns. They're always gonna be able to get guns. And one sure way to affect a change on that evil is a weapon system. And a weapon system, a firearm is just an outstanding tool to be able to do that with. In fact, so, you know, and I I have this, it goes with me everywhere. It doesn't leave my side or my person. Um, And yes, it is fully loaded because it should be fully loaded, right? yeah so you know there there are those who are going to want to be in that camp of not having firearms and i just you you can they can do whatever they need to do but i know for 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 me and my family and for the camp that we're in that we're gonna we have this second amendment and we're going to be responsible and safe but when it's time to, after we've exhausted all avenues of distraction, diffusal, de-escalation, uh, and it, when, when we have to do what we have to do, that's that's what it is. There isn't a, there is, there's this line. And once that line has been crossed or those boundaries have been crossed, we may have to resort to that use of firearm.
0: And I want to emphasize that, that your training, uh, all of your training, includes verbal skills, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely, that's that's a, that's a key tool wow. because that is a weapon in and of itself that someone has to respond to a verbal command mentally, internally. So you say, listen, put your hands on that vehicle. And then I'll say, put your hands on that vehicle while I'm transitioning around them. So now they have to move to us and all of those things are going to aid us. But also we are communicating fully that when we take this thing down the road in the court and in the court of public opinion, we have articulated, you know, don't come any closer. I don't need any help with my bags or I don't, you know, you, you rented this house, I'm armed. go out the same way you can or you're going to get shot whatever the whatever the commands are gonna be that you have demonstrated control, demonstrated the ability to articulate that and hopefully they're listening to it. But then when it's reviewed later, we did all that we can do. We're not gonna let them get close and inside our reactionary gap to then now have a fight of a different type. So we're very big proponents on uh, verbal, verbal commanding and verbal de-escalation.
0: Absolutely. We hear a lot of talk about that in police training, um, you know, these days. And, and, and one of the things I also want to emphasize is the more that, would you, would you say it's fair to say that uh, the more a police officer practices with all their different weapon systems, the better they're going to be at it?
1: Well, oh, without questions, sustainment is a major part. So um, in the military, we do what's called ULT, which is unit level training. So after the guys come back from deployment, they got two weeks off and then they go through the ULT, the unit level training cycle. And they're going through a whole training workup, even when they're out at the, you know, at the fixed base, they are still training, training, training. And that is something that is critically important. And, you know, we, we when we get together, we always talk about, you know, the level of fitness. And, you know, people, well, let me step back for a second. Um, you know, here you are a woman that has, you know, battle the pretty ultimate fight, right? And through this whole thing, you're staying fit, right? And what an example, right? That's that right there should be a moniker for people to go, well, wait a minute. If she's doing it with fighting this battle, and here I am, wait, what's my excuse? Because look at and I'll just say it because sometimes commands won't say it, but anybody who's an LEO. Needs to have a sustainment fitness practice. That's just what it is. It can't candy coat it. And those of us who are the sheepdogs that are civilians, uh, you know, if we if we're at that gas station and the pumps are here, something happens, and we need to hustle from the building to the to where our car is. We need to do that as quickly as possible. And when when we get there, we need to be able to handle the fight. So fitness, and that's just a, you know, a a small example of one of many that illustrates that, you know, our fitness ability and sustainment training is key.
0: And here's the thing. We're at a time period here in the United States where uh, a lot of departments are very shorthanded. And we still have a lot of talk politically um, about defunding the police. And yet police training is expensive, isn't it? It's time consuming and it's expensive. And and yet, you know, these are perishable skills like you talked about. And now we're seeing law enforcement is actually, uh, some agencies are are being forced to move away from a lot of training just because they don't have the staffing and they don't have the funding, right? It, it, what kind of a disaster is that ultimately going to lead to?
1: Yeah, so uh, I don't, I, I man, I, I don't even know who made that up, that whole defund the police. That is so backwards. Um, these guys need more training, not less training. And when we take five officers just say five these you know smaller cities uh you know and townships uh when they would take five officers off the street well wait a minute we need we need to backfill that five that are off the street and get overtime for guys you know that need to fill those slots or whatever it may be now you take that and you take a class of 30 well where is the money coming from to backfill that, not let alone pay for the training. And when we have all the different modalities of, of you know, long weapon, small weapon, pistol, taser, de-escalation skills, verbal judo, uh, you know, traffic stops. That's quite a bit of training that needs to be recycled and sustain, so we can function properly out there the way the citizens want us to.
0: Right, exactly, because it's the citizens we're serving. Now, Hank, uh, if you weren't as if you weren't busy enough, you decided to write a book.
1: Yes, yes yeah, <laughs> so yeah,
0: yeah. I love the title, "The Six Bullets You Can't Leave Home Without." Talk about your concept for this book. And, uh, and what
1: you hope to accomplish with it. Yeah, 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 it's great, great, a lot of fun. And it's great to have, uh, to be, you know, a published author and uh, it's a lift, it's a lot of work, but it's necessary work. And, you know, as I'm getting older here, I wanted to be able to document and leave legacy of, of, of our work and of our training methodologies and, and concepts and principles, right? concept and principle. So that's a big one. So, um, well, you say, when do we have to be ready? We ought to always be ready. We ought to always be ready, 100%. So what does what that consist of? Well, that's the, the right mindset. So what I thought of was I said, hmm, so we have uh, you know, dozens of people in the companies that, that are currently run but I wanted to just hear from a couple of guys who, you know, we got one guy that, you know, he's down at Bragg and I can't say his command, of course, and all that stuff. But we had another guy who's Navy Intel and uh, just a number of different guys. We said, you know what? How about if I task these guys with, we got a little mission. We got a little writing mission. And the mission is that we want to hear about what are the top six things the top six things that you do not leave home without. And they were like, Well, what do you mean, Hank? And I was like, Think security mindedness and think how you go out into the world. And what are the top six things? And they said, Why does well, it have to do with your weapon system? That's it. There's, you get no more information. All right. We want to hear because we don't want six guys to all talk about their weapon system and their you know, self-defense rounds, and they no, no, we just want to say, what are your top six things? So, we have four guys, and our authors are myself, Jared Grant, Dan Spagone, and Steve Johnson, and uh, right now, it's a, uh, it's, we got a five-star rating, and uh, we've been, we've been doing a bunch of different stuff with uh, the local news, and a bunch of different, uh, you know, influencers, and it's been fun, but the most important thing is, is we get people to think about how are they leaving their home, you know, and what are they doing when they're out there in these transition spaces, you know, instead of switching things on to having, you know, our face in our phone, we need in that transition space, we can just Put the phone down and put our head on a swivel and be observing what's going on around us in real time. Once we get back in the vehicle and get on the road, that's when we can and sh- should be talking to our phone with the, you know, with, with the uh, great technology that we have, as, as opposed to being distracted by the tool. All
0: right, Awesome. Hank, where can people find you? Where can they find the book? Where can they find more about your company? You have a great uh, social media presence, and uh, and I want everybody to meet you.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, we would love to have them out. Uh, so, all right. So, our book, uh, this can be found: "The Six Bullets You Can't Leave Home Without." That's on Amazon, uh, and as well on our civilian company website, which is Intuitive SP. Dot com and that's i n t u i t i v e s p dot com the word intuitive sp dot com and then the military and law enforcement company is n l b november lima bravo Tactical.com. and the socials are either Facebook at Facebook no light blades and Facebook, intuitive self-protection spelled out, and Instagram is Hank Hayes underscore ISP. So a lot of stuff, and now we have interest in an ammunition company. So uh, it's been it's been a great ride. It's been a great not without its you know hurdles, but a great ride. So
0: that's fantastic, Hank. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun
1: down! Put the gun down!
0: Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use-of-force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.